Transfer complete. Hello and welcome to Subspace Transmissions, the podcast where two Trek fans step into the arena and tackle the best, worst, weirdest, wildest, and everything in between that Star Trek has to offer. I'm Cam Smith, and joining me on the bridge... This is Tyler Orton, beaming in from a mere universe where another Kelvinverse movie is actually happening here on planet Earth. This sounds like an insane world that I can't even imagine, Tyler. <laughs> Truly insane, Cameron. Yes. And we're here this week to hold our annual symposium where we look at everything Star Trek has going on at the moment and just take the temperature and gauge how good are we with the current state of Trek. I think like the first time we did this, uh, I don't know, seven, eight years ago. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there are no TV shows on the horizon. There are no films on the horizon. It was just us talking, um, hey, is uh, Enterprise going to be on Netflix or is it going to be another <laughs> another streaming service? Who knows? I don't know. And it was me like reading out a list of upcoming novels. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And don't forget graphic novels. But graphic novels. That. And then just yeah. like us trying to spitball what each of these novels could be about. <laughs> <laughs> mm -hmm. I remember, of course, um, there was a big announcement about uh, the new line of uh, uh, drink coasters. But, uh, <laughs> you know, so um, we've come a long way, though. And I think last year um, we, we had looked at the fact that uh, there were, what, like five Star Trek series hit in the air. Mm -hmm. uh, we had not seen that amount of Star Trek ever before. And, uh, yeah, I, I think we were kind of... I, not not kind of, we were quite optimistic about uh, where Star Trek was and where it could be going in the future. Yeah, and I feel like at the moment, we're kind of like this, I don't want to say it's like a down period, but it's like kind of like a lull, where I think we'll get into it as the episode goes, but maybe there's some uncertainty in the future, and so we don't have this kind of like, you know, incoming huge wave of Star Trek that we're about to be buried in. Like the uh, the Nexus chasing after the Enterprise B uh, in, in Star Trek Generations, right? We are like Dr. Soren leaping up and down on a desert rock, yes. waiting for an energy ribbon that's never going to come, possibly. Yeah. Okay. Well, Cam, <laughs> why don't we kind of recap the year so far? Um, I think kind of the biggest things so far is, of course, uh, Star Trek Picard uh, wrapped up its three-season run. And it was interesting just seeing kind of the reaction to that. And... Um, it ranged from uh, a lot of elation, a lot of folks saying, this is finally the Star Trek I've been waiting for for 30 years. Um, and then there's some mixed reaction. I think you and I were a bit more on the mixed side. Like, we didn't hate it. No. We just kind of thought, like, it could have been better. Like, in, like there's, like, easy opportunities for it to have been a little bit better. But it really delivered some amazing moments. Uh, I'm thinking of, you know, Ensign Rowe coming back. Uh, as a commander this time, um, you know, Shelby making her wonderful appearance only to get shot in the torso within uh, five <laughs> seconds, you know, but, um, I, I, but there were some genuine highs. Like, I, I, I thought, like, LeVar Burton was fantastic as Jordy. I think the episode four, No Win Scenario, it, it felt like kind of a true Star Trek episode to me, despite the fact. Uh, despite the fact that it started on a bit of a bummer with everybody thinking they were going to die and sink into that nebula gravity well. But um, yeah, I don't know. What's your kind of overall takeaway and maybe kind of uh, maybe not our reaction uh, so much as kind of the broader fan reaction to Picard? Well, I think uh, just from my end, it's a show I very much look at as a, a, a series about moments. And there's a lot of moments that are going to stick with me in terms of how they inform the characters and the future of Star Trek going forward. So like, while 
I may have thought a number of episodes were quite mediocre. There's enough positive moments that I do regard the season as something of a success. Uh, just not like the home run success I'd hope for. But when I compare that to season two, like sincerely, Tyler, you know, snark aside or jokes aside, what's the best moment of Star Trek Picard season two? I would say like it, it must have something to do in episode one or yeah. two. And I uh, like I it's tough, right? So- yeah, I'm. I'm trying to think of like a moment that jumped out to me, and to me, I I wouldn't point to Q and Picard hugging each other in the season finale because I thought that was very unearned. It did not feel organic, and again, they fell in the trap of uh, uh, tell, don't show. Yeah, and so I, I mean, I think holistically, like episodes one and two worked. I'm trying to think about like specific moments. Um, didn't Picard give a nice speech, or didn't uh, he make a nice? funny joke at Elnor's expense in episode one? Yeah, maybe. I think for me, the moment that I will take with me that I think very few are going to hold as the all-time great moments of season two, but was just the the fireside chat between Picard and Laris, where they kind of talked about their sort of feelings for one another. I was like, this Seems is like the- a grown-up show. Yeah, exactly. It was kind of like the um, contemplative, mature Star Trek show that was pitched to us you know, a few years ago when they announced Picard. That was like kind of the isolated moment. I can appreciate what they were trying to set up in those first two episodes, which I still think are pretty good. But like, in terms of like moments that are going to stick with me, there's there's next to nothing. So I can look at um, season three and say, you know what? Like, it actually delivered more moments than I can really count. Like, I can't just break it down to five. There's like probably 25 or 30 moments that'll, you know, stick with me going forward. But as for like the general response... I, I feel like the general response was good. There seemed to be a lot of enthusiasm and a lot of the, I think the, the real fans, like and you and I have encountered this a lot when we were looking even for guests for the show, people wanted to talk about TNG. Like that was the big thing. A lot of the guests wanted to talk about was just TNG. And I think like this show rewarded a lot of Star Trek fans who have maybe been, you know, out of the party for quite a while and got to come back and have the payoffs and all these kind of like fan moments for characters that mean a lot to them. And maybe they haven't stuck with, you know, Discovery or um, Enterprise and shows like that. Um, It seems like Picard season three achieved a certain amount in terms of generating buzz for Star Trek, which is not something that was happening with the first two seasons of Picard when they were ongoing week to week. Picard season one had a lot of buzz before it aired, but once you got to like week four, it really quieted down. Um, I feel like it had success there. I don't know long term if it was like the real like the heavy generator they were hoping for to really like fuel a new generation of fandom that would be jumping on board for whatever new Star Trek shows they they put out. But it seemed to do its job, I guess. I just wonder if a lasting legacy will be fans remembering the opportunity that they got to see the Enterprise D once more. Mm. And that might just be enough kind of um, iconic momentum for people more broadly to like the show in the end like that's kind of the broader takeaway there and so i wonder is star trek picard season three an overall success um i think maybe for most fans who stuck it out yes uh did it as you say kind of um uh 
blow up kind of the franchise to something uh, new? Uh, no, not necessarily. Um, I mean, let's just put it this way. Uh, when Alex Kurtzman was asked on the red carpet uh, about whether uh, he's a fan of the idea of that Star Trek legacy kind of spinoff series in which you'd be following Seven and Raffi and uh, Jack Crusher on new adventures. His response was to grit his teeth and say, we hear you. Yeah, yeah, we hear you, which is code for he has zero interest in pursuing anything like that. Uh, instead, it seems as if the next, you know, priority for Star Trek in terms of live action shows is the newly announced Starfleet Academy show, which was um, unveiled or announced this year. Um, so that's another takeaway from this year so far. Cam, my concern about Starfleet Academy is like, I, I, I hope it's hammy. I hope it's cheesy. <laughs> I think they're going to take that show very seriously, very much in the vein of Discovery and how seriously Discovery takes itself or how Picard, how seriously Picard takes itself. And if it's going to be a like a young adult show, it might be excruciating to sit through. If and especially you want to throw in a mystery box element in a YA series, in which it is completely self serious and earnest at all times, I I, I I'm not the demographic they're going for, but I don't know who this show's for really. Yeah, like if you tell me there's going to be episodes along the lines of something like First Duty, I'm kind of on board for that like i think you know when you look at that tng episode about wesley uh and the uh, maneuver that goes wrong that's a really well-written interesting dramatic story about young people making mistakes as they find their way within starfleet um you can't do that week to week though no you it, cannot it, like, every and single I week the the <laughs> stakes are life or death you know, it's like, am I going to get kicked out of the Starfleet Academy uh, this week? Or, you know, like, what I'd like to see more is something like Freaks and Geeks. You know, when the, the stakes were kind of small and it was nice. Like the stakes were like, hey, um, I just cheated on a test and I think the teacher knows. Am I going to get in trouble? You know, or hey, um, my parents don't want me hanging out with that crew anymore, but I still want to. Am I going to get in trouble being, like I like the small stakes, I think could be so great on a Starfleet Academy show. Cam, I don't want a life and death series, you know, week to week. No, no, I don't either. I don't need a <laughs> deadly maneuver of the week and the punishments that come alongside with it. But like to me, when I look at a first duty, I go, that's a really well written episode about young people making a mistake and having to deal with it. Um, my concern is that this show is not going to be particularly well written like the writing in that tng episode is fantastic but i see very few examples of writing of that caliber happening on discovery on star trek picard and i fear that that's just going to be the case with starfleet academy in which case they are going to fall back on a lot of cheap melodrama because it's a lot easier to do than more serious grounded dramatic storytelling well, I mean, the big warning sign is the kind of what we suspect was a bit of a backdoor pilot in season four of Star Trek Discovery in which we had Tilly leading these cadets on a mission and, and they crash land on an ice planet and all these disparate aliens, they have to learn how to get along. And guess what, Cam? They learn how to get along and they give each other big hugs at the end of the episode. And I'm like, oof, <laughs> oof. Like that was painful to sit through. And all indication is that Starfleet Academy will be taking place in this time period as well. I 
feel like that episode was very much like uh, 50-year-old people writing for like kids. <laughs> and that is my big concern with uh, Starfleet Academy, where it just, like, as you said, like, who is this show for? Like, I, I just have a hard time imagining a world where I'm hearing about like 19 and 20-year-olds like um TikToking about <laughs> Starfleet Academy. You know what I mean? Like look at Wednesday, that Adam's family show that like yeah. had big moments, the Jenna Ortega show. Like I work with some teenagers, they were talking about Wednesday like crazy. So the idea of like a kind of a dusty property being, you know, discovered and loved by a newer generation, it can easily happen. I just question whether um, Starfleet Academy is going to deliver kind of like the cool factor that would make a younger generation even interested in it. Cam, could you imagine <laughs> if there's like like some sort of TikTok dance coming from a Starfleet Academy episode, you know, where it's like like it, like, like it's cringe to the nth degree. Like it just doesn't <laughs> work for this property though. Like there's somebody like I I, I can totally picture how like you know, the Adams family can be transposed and updated for this generation, mm -hmm. you know, and appeal to young people. Um, <laughs> Star Trek, Star Trek was never a cool thing. You know, like, um, you know, like, it, like you can talk about it now and like, a lot more people will admit that they're big Star Trek fans. I, that was not the case when I was growing up, believe me. <laughs> and, um, I just don't think the uh, the kids, I don't know, born in 2005 and up are, are going to be doing like literal, you know, cart wheels and, and do the Dougie like along with like a green screen version of Tilly and Saru, you know, it's just kind of like, like, ooh, like, like, I, I think they're going to be in for a major wake up call. I, I wonder if that wake up call was just how terrible the Academy episode was in uh, Discovery season four. Maybe they realized big mistakes were made and, and they're course correcting, but I don't have a lot of faith right now. No, I feel like the closest Star Trek got to being legit cool with like kind of a mainstream audience was 2009. Um, that took a lot of very talented people to make. Uh, it had a very specific vision. I don't know that the team behind Starfleet Academy have kind of that level of ugh, like the ability to craft something that really comes across in a new exciting way like this is going to be their what like what are we at now like their fourth or fifth live action tv show i don't know that they have what it takes to deliver something that feels that fresh yeah uh hmm i i, I was thinking about this uh yesterday and i i know it's so easy to say that um Oh, you know, the Kurtzman people, they don't know what makes Star Trek great. I don't think it's that. I think there are a lot of folks that are big fans of Star Trek working on those staffs, those writing staffs there. I think the issue is, Cam, is they don't know what makes TV an incredible medium to work within. And they keep trying to construct these season-long stories that just don't work and they keep relying on a lot of i'd say kind of hacky writing tropes mm. and they're not using the the medium 
to its best degree. Uh, I'll give you an example. This is, I think, why it's kind of on my mind. Um, so it, it popped up to me, like uh, David Blass. He was a season three production designer of um, uh, Picard. Right. And I noticed his name coming up. I'm, I'm doing a, a rewatch of uh, Justified, starring Timothy Oliphant and uh, and Walton Goggins, uh, that uh, FX series from about uh, 10, 12 years ago. Uh, this is in anticipation of kind of a revival series coming up this summer. And so I want to watch the entire series once again. And it just strikes me how unpretentious the storytelling is. And it is a bit of what I've always been talking about, kind of like uh, maybe a bit of a, a case of the week, you know, your A story. And then the ongoing kind of B story is always, you know, kind of serialized stuff building up building up what's going to be kind of the explosion at the end and they'll have kind of uh, so-called mythology episodes uh, a couple in a row and what i found amazing about this storytelling is um it keeps subverting your expectations because you kind of think you know what's going to happen next and it's only because you're so attuned to kind of tv tropes and so when the show doesn't go with that trope it's like oh wow like it's my own fault for falling into that trap uh, expecting this when you know good tv writing will go the other way and i never do you ever find yourself really that surprised or do you really find yourself like any of the star trek shows airing right now are subverting your expectations about where a story is going to end up you know from minute one to minute 45 i'm racking my brain to try to think of i'm sure there was probably like an episode of strange new worlds that surprised me at some point i i don't know that i knew that the elysian kingdom was going to go where it went um, sure. but <laughs> couldn't have predicted that. I also don't know that I ever quite predicted Battery Boy. Um, so that probably surprised me, but those are not two of my favorite episodes yeah. <laughs> by any yeah. stretch. Um, I feel like of the shows, Strange New Worlds has the best ability to kind of deliver something that feels a little different to me. Um, but feels a little different, but because it feels a little bit more like kind of the 1990s Star Trek though. Yeah, it's like exactly. a throwback to an era, a different era, but also seizing on kind of the the television medium as it exists now, and having more of that serialized aspect there. I maybe just honestly to go back to kind of the DS Nine model, you know, where you'd have a couple mythology episodes every season, um, some stuff going on in the background in the B stories, and then you'd have like mostly um, your A stories are mostly kind of episodic. That kind of seems what the what Strange New Worlds has adopted here. Uh, it, you know, Enterprise did that as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it worked really well for Enterprise. I have high hopes for uh, the future of Strange New Worlds. I say that and watch it be canceled <laughs> as soon as I say this, because notoriously big news drops after we record one of these episodes. But uh, <laughs> yeah. I'm very optimistic about the future of Strange New Worlds. Um, and I do feel like that show so far has shown an ability to tap into things that at least feel a little new and exciting for the franchise. And, you know, you and I saw Anson Mount at the Vancouver Fan Expo. And he kept like emphasizing that like they, he wanted like big swings on this show, and I do think like that there was a certain amount of power positioning, probably with him signing on, that like he wanted something very specific out of this show. He wasn't looking at making Discovery 2.0, and so far, yeah, because he watched Discovery uh, season <laughs> two. He's like, yeah, like I don't know if they'd said we just want to make like a continuation of season two discovery if that would have excited him as much but it seems like he has a pretty clear sense as to what he's looking for like what actually excites him to work on an ongoing series and it seems like 
they are continuing down that road. The fact they're doing like that crossover with lower decks, that's not really like the safest bet when you're combining like wacky animated characters and established characters on a live action show. Just the fact they're going to try that is interesting to me. Yeah. Um, We'll, we'll tackle Strange New Worlds in more depth um, in, a, in a few weeks, uh, just ahead of the premiere in June, uh, June 15th, and we'll be covering that week to week, unless <laughs> unless it turns into a, the worst season of Star Trek, and we'll have <laughs> to turn it into, you know, like uh, those kind of uh, uh, bubble viewings in which we did like four episodes of uh, Discovery at a time. Although, I still contend that uh, season two of Picard was the worst season of Star Trek ever made, and, and we did that week to week. Yeah, I would say that is accurate. I would say that like Picard season two was the worst season, but Discovery season four was the most boring season. Just like, like it drag, it felt like a drag. Like, yeah. um, to me, like watching Picard season two every week, I was like, I can't wait to see how bad it can get. <laughs> and um, where I was just like with Discovery season four, I was like, oh man, I have to wait to see how boring it's gonna get. <laughs> and it's like, oh man. Um, so here's, here, okay, this is what's going to kill me. If Starfleet Academy, I don't know, some boring mystery box thing where, I don't know, some kid's eyes turn red while he's alone in a bathroom at the end of, like, the season one um, uh, premiere or something like that. And then we don't find out until, like, episode 12 what that means. I'm just like, come on, guys, this stuff is, it's not very interesting. Like, do something different. And just because, okay, you can do serialized storytelling without it relying on a mystery. You know, that's that, that's what, like, okay, Cam, they did serialized storytelling with NYPD Blue with, with ER. Mm-hmm. None of it had anything to do with a mystery. It was just, like, the story would build upon itself. Um, Deep Space Nine, you know, uh, the ongoing serialized TV show. Nothing that had anything to do with mysteries, really, that would carry on from the beginning of one season all the way to the end of the season. No, and we talked about the Enterprise episode Home, like, last week, which was continuing story threads from previous episodes, but, like, very satisfying just to say one hour experience yeah um i guess the other big news i found out this year is that um well discovery season five will be its last it was supposed to premiere in 2023 but it's been bumped to next year the uh the studio uh you know wanted to give them uh, more money and time to do some additional filming and, and really wrap things up uh, it was clear uh, the creatives wanted to continue on beyond season five, but Cam, I just I don't understand the economic model for in this day and age for streaming shows to really go beyond three or four seasons. Like it made sense why Picard would go three seasons. Uh, I certainly hope Strange New Worlds goes beyond five, but I I I don't know how you make the economic argument for Discovery, which has absolutely zero buzz out there. I I don't know anybody who still talks about that show not i haven't met anybody who talks about the show in like kind of the real world since uh, and I, I i'm excluding our our hardcore trek fan bubble mm. but um i haven't heard anybody talk about it since season two and nope. what's that 2018 2019 like i i think the show is just bleeding money for the studio i think it's incredibly nice of the studio to give them money to wrap things up yeah I would say the most buzz that that show has generated in years was the announcement that it was ending. Yeah, I know. Um, that's quite damning. Yeah. Uh, well, it's it's also completely understandable when you look at those last two seasons, which were... I get it. Like, they have their fans out there. But, like, put yourself in the mindset of someone who hasn't watched Star Trek before sit them down and make them watch seasons three and four of Discovery and see if they're excited to watch more Star Trek. Like, 
I think the whole concept of Discovery when they launched it was like, this show is going to be something of a soft restart for Star Trek. It's going to bring in new fans. It's the first of the streaming shows. It's the flagship. This is going to be the one that all the shows we launch after are all going to be kind of under the umbrella that Discovery built. I don't think that's the case at all. I think Discovery's been so overshadowed by Picard, uh, Strange New Worlds, maybe even Lower Decks at this point, um, <laughs> maybe even Starfleet Academy when it launches. Like, the momentum of Star Trek Discovery is not good. Like, not good at all. Is there momentum? No. Like, I don't think there was momentum after season two. And even season yeah. two, I think by the time you got to the end, you were seeing kind of like less and less say, coverage on blogs and podcasts and things like that. I think it's just a lot of folks still excited about the prospect of a uh, Captain Pike Spock spinoff series. I think that's really what the uh, the excitement and the momentum was at that point. Uh, I know you and I were excited about season three. Uh, we're like, okay, they finally figured out what the show is going to be. And then about the halfway mark of the season, we're like, oof, this show's just not anything that, like, grabs us as viewers here and i think they've just kind of been stuck in a creative rut uh we know that they just based on the uh interviews that have been coming out and that kind of mini kind of teaser that we got a couple months ago that they they want to inject the show with fun and <laughs> whimsy and it seems that they do that every couple seasons on discovery and then they fall back into making it just trauma porn and uh you know um i I've always gone back and rewatched Star Trek seasons before the next season premieres. I will not be doing that with Discovery. I'll, I'll watch um, Species 10C, the episode. That was a penultimate episode of the season. I thought that was actually like a good episode. It really felt very like Star Trekian. I'll watch the finale just so I know where we all kind of leave off with the characters. I didn't think the finale was very good. And then, um, I don't know, I'll... Look, Cam, I'll still be watching it week to week. Uh, whether or not you and I are recording a podcast about it week to week, um, probably not. The only hope is that because they cut it to a 10-episode season, there'll be more actual like um, important things happening in episode that can kind of give us something to talk about. That was the problem, was the story was spread so thin over 13 to 15 episodes that like you were just left with nothing. Hopefully, condensing it to 10 at least there's things happening that are worthy of discussion. Didn't feel like Star Trek Picard season three had a lot of padding in it as well, even with just 10 episodes. It did indeed. Yes. When you got to the, yeah. I guess, post episode five, I think it was like six and seven were particularly padded. Um, it's the always work a case. Raffy stuff. They just kept repeating the same story beats again and again. Yeah. Yeah. Like Picard should have been maybe like six to I think six episodes is pretty good. And Discovery should be like maybe eight. <laughs> I think that would have been a, a good number. Um, like you see the way that like a show that isn't heavily serialized, like Strange New Worlds, can easily support 10. You could go more. You could give me like 15 episodes of kind of standalone Strange New Worlds stories would be perfect. But like the extended sort of, um, you know, um, mystery arcs that have happened on Discovery and Picard, I think like... You really want to go for those like British, you know, six episode seasons. Yeah. And that's why they need to get rid of like kind of like, hey, we have a mystery and we're going to solve it at the end. And so we need everybody just kind of run in place. And then it's going to be a burst of revelations in the final hour. 
and everything's going to feel just super rushed. And it's just like, like, like I said, like, uh, I'll just point to, I've done this before. You know, uh, look at uh, Sopranos, The Wire, Game of Thrones. It's the penultimate episode in which all the big action takes place. And then it's the final episode in which they kind of like uh, have the resolution and maybe kind of the setup of where people stand and might what might take place um, next for these people. You know, and that, that ain't happening with uh, Discovery at any point. No, it's going to be fascinating once the show's done. And a few years have gone by and we like reflect on what Star Trek Discovery even was. Because like, you know, you look at the way that like Enterprise was cut short, but like over time, there was like a better sense as to what the show actually was. And in the case of Enterprise, like why it was actually quite good and worthy as a show. I am just interested. I don't think Discovery is going to have as um, glowing a reappraisals. I'm just interested to see like when we have a full picture of it, what we even make of it. Yeah. For me personally, I, I can definitely imagine rewatching seasons one and two. Mm-hmm. But I I just, much like season two of Picard, I cannot imagine rewatching um, seasons three and four of Discovery, you know? And this is kind of damning because I, I could happily go back and rewatch the train wrecks that were seasons one of TNG. It's mostly kind of the, the a curiosity factor, morbid curiosity in some cases, but also it's like seeing where things started and like i'll just be honest kind of nostalgia even knowing that um they weren't getting things quite right but just the thought of rewatching seasons two of picard and three and four of discovery just kind of i just kind of find it depressing like yeah just, it, it makes me sad well like i can easily sit down and watch say star trek nemesis or uh the final frontier kind of those mediocre star trek movies because it's like a two hour in and out kind of thing and I've seen them multiple times, but like the idea of sitting down and watching like a um, 13 episode Star Trek Discovery season four or a Picard season one, like going forward, I just don't think I'll be doing that. Mm. Um. Okay. Well, Cam, we talked about kind of recap the year so far, but what what about what's to come? Of course, we have Strange New Worlds in uh, just a few weeks. We will be doing that week to week, of course, our recaps. Uh, we will also be doing uh, just uh, ahead of the premiere, the um, uh, subspace episode that will drop uh, ahead of the premiere. We'll be doing kind of a full uh, review of season one, um, our 4K Blu-rays. Um, well, they have <laughs> arrived in our homes. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, unfortunately, um, I got the uh, the Steelbook um, you know, version, and it uh, came quite bent. And um, so I am uh, returning that to Amazon and they're going to deliver me another copy uh, this coming uh, Sunday and I will binge watch the heck out of that and we'll dive into Star Trek in 4K. Uh, hopefully this will be a little bit of a different experience for you in 4K uh, after your uh, <laughs> the motion picture in which uh, you watched it on your phone um, <laughs> rather than... Um, you know, uh, so, and uh, I don't know, I, I'm pumped to get into the special features for that. Um, my case, my bent up steel book uh, says uh, over 100 minutes of special features. Um, but it annoy me. I, I remember there's one, um, I, I don't remember like which TV series did it, but they, it was something like 600 hours of special features and they were including like all the uh, commentaries. Yeah. I was like, that's cheating. Come on, folks. Like, no way. But um, 
yeah, so we'll, we'll go into Strange New Worlds in just a few weeks, and uh, we'll, we'll really dive into that, have a deep dive in anticipation of Season 2. And I think it's just kind of like uh, for the, the summer, it, like we've got like uh, Star Trek episode after Star Trek episode because uh, Lower Decks will be premiering uh, not too long after Strange New Worlds. And uh, yeah, I, I, I'm... Uh, <laughs> look, uh, it's, just, it's such an easy watch for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. And it's, it's fun like just to dissect like uh kind of the zaniness of both the universe but the characters too and it's a show that i I, i've come to appreciate more and more as each season has gone by yeah i'm looking forward to lower decks season four as well i feel like the show though needs a little bit of like just a uh, reignited spark a little bit i enjoyed season three it had a very consistent run of good episodes but i i feel like we didn't it didn't feel as it as if it delivered kind of those moments and events that kind of inspired season one and two for me like when I look at the no small parts finale and the way they um, built up to that in season one and then also like the titan adventures with Boimler in season two those I thought were a lot of fun season three didn't deliver quite as much for me I'm looking forward to seeing how they pay off the Freeman story the cliffhanger that ended uh, season three but um, beyond that like I just I feel like the show just needs maybe like an injection of maybe a new character or just a little bit of a shakeup of the status quo, just a slight shakeup. The show is still doing well, still liking the characters, but just something that makes it feel a little bit different. Well, I think ultimately what you're getting at though, is that um, there weren't some of the low lows that we got in maybe seasons one and two, but not necessarily some of those high highs that we yeah. got in those first two seasons as well is yeah, pretty steady show. And I liked it. It uh, wasn't painful to watch, except for that peanut hamper episode, uh, which you actually liked. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, That's what I mean by the shakeup. I want that to be the entire season. There you go. That's the new character. Uh, full, uh, And by that, I mean uh, full-time uh, cast member. That's, uh, That's we're right. We're bringing on to the show. Yeah, there. Um, we do know that Star Trek Prodigy will be premiering. Uh, season two will be premiering sometime uh, in 2023, we don't have an exact release date just yet. Um, my guess is we get five episodes sometime in the fall. They go on a Christmas hiatus and come back in February. We get another five episodes, and then we don't see it again until, I don't know, uh, summer, fall of 2024? Yeah, that sounds about right for the uh, Star Trek Prodigy scheduling, yes. <laughs> yeah, it'll be kind of another, like, we won't review it week to week. Um We'll do kind of a burst of episodes similar with what we did with uh, Discovery uh, Season 4, I, 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 I suspect. Just be, look, the show's really enjoyable, really likable, but I just don't know how much we have to say uh, after the end of every episode. Like, if we could do a full, like, 60 minutes. Do you get the sense that, like, Paramount Plus recognizes, like, how good that show is and how it is actually, I think, written considerably better than uh some of their other uh mystery box stories i I, like i'd have to get in the head of the average executive um like i don't know i i think the question to be asking is does say somebody like alex kurtzman understand like how much better yeah it is than a lot of the other shows and just how the writing seems okay you know how uh yeah couple minutes ago i was talking about how the uh live action writers don't really seem to understand the kind of the basics of tv storytelling um the prodigy writers do Mm -hmm. they understand it quite well and i suspect that kurtzman's kind of staying out of the lane because what does he know about children's animation and he's staying out of um 
the lower decks lane because what does he know about uh animated comedies and um so what what does kurtzman know about uh young adults tv shows i don't know but we've got the showrunner from nancy drew taking the lead on that one so maybe he'll stay in his lane there i don't know fingers crossed i just feel like with uh prodigy it's almost like the kind of ignored star trek show out of the group of you know series they've got going it's kind of like the one oh yeah yeah, yeah. by the way star trek prodigy is gonna be back too whereas like when i look at the star wars franchise they're like very proud of their shows like Rebels and Clone Wars. Like they really put a lot of muscle behind getting those shows out there and emphasizing kind of their importance within the franchise. I, I feel like Prodigy's kind of getting short shrift a lot when they should be like holding that one up um, very highly. Like be very proud of that show. It's notable to me, like even, you know, when you look at like the Star Trek cons we go to in Star Trek Las Vegas, and this isn't related to the people at Paramount, but like, they don't really book anyone from Prodigy. It just feels like this show that is happening, it's really good, and no one's going to appreciate it till after it's gone. How dare you, Cam? Uh, Kate Mulgrew, Robert <laughs> Beltran, they're, they're being booked at the conventions. Well, that's true. That's true. And also, we yeah. did have The Diviner was there last uh, last summer. But I feel and like that, that's Billy more... Campbell. <laughs> Billy Campbell. Bring him back. Yeah, well, too, uh, Billy Campbell, yeah. But I feel like they booked The Diviner actor mostly because of his work in Lord of the Rings. There was some, like interest there but why are the stars of prodigy not being like you know like given these stages to like talk to the fans and make that a bigger deal it just feels like this show is happening and it's very quiet it's it's too quiet it, it's so tough to kind of figure out the economic model here and that like this show looks um incredibly expensive much more mm -hmm. so than lower decks and lower decks looks fantastic as well but the thing is, like, you're building up a library for a children's series, and this is more of a long play, I think, than, say, a, a Discovery or even a Lower Decks is. Like, you are looking to build up uh, fandom among, like, much younger kids, you know. Um, and it always struck me, like, Cam, we kind of agree this show is probably meant for, like, kids ages 8 to 11, whereas um, <laughs> I was 7 or 8 when I got into Star Trek, so it's kind of like... Um, why not give those kids live action series? But then when you have like Klingon breasts and F-bombs galore and Discovery, like it, you can't really get kids to watch that show. So like, I don't know. It, it's just such a weird thing. But you're trying to get uh, build up a library for generation after generation of young people to discover Star Trek through that avenue. And then maybe check out the other library shows. Um, and then wait until they're, I don't know, 13, 14 until they watch Discovery or Picard? Yeah. I mean, I have a friend who, and I've referenced this before, but whose son got into Star Trek. And he, at the time, would have been, I think, 12, maybe 11. Um, but, like, he skipped right over watching anything like Prodigy. Like, he was watching Strange New Worlds. Yeah. And I asked, hey, have you watched Prodigy? And he's just like, no. Like, it's just zero interest. Yeah. Strange New Worlds is you know, safe enough that you can pretty much show that to younger people, you know, it's maybe they're not going to love battery boy episode, but other than that, like, uh, I think by and large, that show is parents are going to be like, if you don't eat your broccoli, <laughs> you're going to end up like him. Exactly. Yeah. But like, I feel like that shows delivering kind of the fun and high spirited adventure that would work on younger viewers and Prodigy's doing the same thing, but it probably feels to like a lot of kids like, oh, like Strange New Worlds feels a little more mature, like something I want to be watching. Yeah. Um, 
has he shown any interest in say something like discovery or i guess he like he's watched all of tng right yeah all of tng all of tos um all of season one strange new worlds sort of interested a little bit in picard season three but yeah, not quite enough to yeah not quite enough to pull the trigger yet uh okay, and okay. i've heard nary a mention of star trek discovery Okay. Well, maybe you've poisoned his mind already. <laughs> I have said nothing at all about the quality of these various shows uh, to him at all. Now, in all fairness, um, his father is responsible for taking the only photo of you and I together at uh, Fan Expo Vancouver, right? That is true. Yes, that is accurate. Okay. That needs to be our artwork uh, one of these days. <laughs> yeah, I have to get that photo, with, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, with uh, Taryn in the middle, right? Yes, that's right. Yeah. Okay, okay. <laughs> so, Cam, uh, why don't we dive into the unknowns? <laughs> what awaits us? The abyss. Um, <laughs> the uncertainty surrounding uh, Star Trek uh, in the current state that it is in. And there, there's a lot of uncertainty. Uh, let's start off with the Hollywood writer's strike, um, how that might affect productions. Uh, the animated stuff, not so much. Uh, Discovery, not so much, because I think they already wrapped up the uh, additional filming. Uh, mm -hmm. Strange New Worlds, from what I understand, um, everything's indicating that production has been paused uh, for season three. Season yeah. two is fine. Season two is in the can. Uh, and it's not looking like a very short strike. Uh, it, but, like the writers and the studios are very far apart in things like the potential for artificial intelligence to be used in writing in the future and and also the size of writers' rooms. Um, and there's a lot of concerns that writers are just going to be kind of finding themselves almost like uh, Uber drivers. It's kind of just part of the gig economy here. And uh, yeah, so things might not pick up again. I don't know. A lot of people that are optimistic are thinking maybe this thing could be wrapped up by September, October. Um So what does that mean for Strange New World Season 3? Maybe coming up a little bit later than we would have hoped, maybe kind of into the uh, later in 2024, maybe even early 2025. Um, mm -hmm. You know, that, that it's a little uncertain, whereas I think if there's no writer's strike, um, I would have been confident that we'd definitely be getting, you know, Strange New World Season 3 or around kind of this time next year. Yeah, and it'll also probably delay um, Starfleet Academy, possibly from rolling and also um whatever is going on with section 31 i would think as well is the script for section 31 in the can i don't think so no okay because they um didn't they say that they were gonna start filming this winter they did say this winter yeah 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 um although I mean, scripts are rarely finished these days when they're shooting things well that's just it and that's why you look at a film like uh star trek into darkness that was filmed during the last writer's strike, and maybe there are reasons why that one didn't actually pan out as well. Um, also, I think, actually, I think it was two thousand nine. Two thousand nine was the one shot during the writing strike. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. You're right. I think that was one of those shows that was kind of or, uh, films that was kind of fixed up in editing and uh, a lot of uh, reshoots and ADR that uh, kind of pulled off that uh, miracle there. Yeah. When you compare that to, um, say, like Transformers 2 or Quantum of Solace and some of the other big blockbusters that were coming out right around the time of Star Trek 2009, that movie was a miracle because there was a lot of movies with serious writing issues that were being released at that time. See, I was just trying to give uh, Into Darkness the benefit of the doubt. <laughs> That's the sad part. <laughs> you can't. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, look, there will be some delays. Look, I, we'll, get, okay. we'll get Discovery sometime next year. Uh, I think 
uh, we'll get, uh, sorry. So Lower Decks, we definitely have a season four. Has it been confirmed we're getting season five of Lower Decks? I, I think it has, has it not? I think so, yes. Or at least that was the assumption I feel like a lot of writers made because the show is pretty inexpensive. And also, you have to kind of get these things started quite early on in yeah. the, like, because it's animation. Um, yeah. You know, uh, you know, I am double checking uh, on March 28th. Uh, Lower Decks was renewed for season five. Cool. So, yeah, we'll uh, look. Uh, so I, I feel confident that we'll be getting Discovery, Lower Decks and Prodigy in 2024. I, I don't know if it'll be Strange New Worlds. So that's kind of where we are with some of the uncertainties there. Cam, um, the biggest uncertainty of all, the next Star Trek film. Um, <laughs> what a mess. Uh, it was supposed to come out December 22nd of this year, Cam. Um, a couple months ago, it was taken off the Paramount slate. Um, the, uh, the bright executives there is kind of a new regime. They decided to announce that there's going to be a new Star Trek movie coming out December 22nd. And, uh, they had not signed any of the actors or not even informed any of the actors of these plans. And eventually Matt Shackman, the, uh, attached director, he departed the film for the new fan- for the next Fantastic Four movie. What was amazing about that announcement of him jumping over to Fantastic Four was that news dropped while we were at the Star Trek convention last summer. <laughs> I forgot about that. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, we were all sharing um, that on our phones, being like, oh, good Lord. <laughs> well, people are like, oh, he's the reason why it was taken off the slate. Uh, no, what happens in these situations is the director, when they know that there's no movement going on in this film that they're attached to, uh, they jump ship. Like, mm-hmm. that's really what happened there. So from what I understand from Hollywood Reporter, uh, the most recent version of the script came from Josh Friedman and Cameron Squires, and, and they'd been working on a previous draft from Lindsay Beer and Geneva Robertson Dwart, uh, or Dore, um, I might be uh, mispronouncing that. Um, I, I, like, I don't know. Like, maybe it's good. I don't know. I, I mean, I like Josh Friedman. He's done some uh, cool things. Uh, the Sarah Connor Chronicles, I thought, was uh, quite excellent. But um. As far as his film output, he did um he did another Terminator movie. What was it, Dark Frontier or something like that, Cam? Uh yeah, Dark Frontier, the Terminator film. Um yeah. it was uh It wasn't that good. No, it was uh it was a movie. <laughs> it was it was passable. It was better than Genesis. That was the thing. Like at the time we're like, you know what? Yeah. Not so bad coming off of Genesis, but now you're like, well, uh, pretty mediocre. I, I'd say that the, the Sarah Connor Chronicles uh, had me much more excited uh, for Dark Frontier, um, uh, knowing that Josh Friedman is attached. So I, like, I, re- I really don't know what's going on. I, I think there, that was probably, what, the fourth script in the can that they, I don't know, like, who knows what's next. I'll, I'll just put this out there again. They do have a script just sitting there, one with Quentin Tarantino's name on it, one that he says he would actually direct. And oh, look, uh, his energies are focused on his next film, um, The Critic which he describes as his 10th and final film. But he's also done interviews where he says, like, yeah, I don't know, like, uh, Star Trek uh, doesn't really count because uh, I just have a story by credit, uh, somebody else's script, so that would not necessarily count. Um, I think he's kind of BSing there. I don't think he has any plans whatsoever to direct this film. I don't think this film will get made. But if you're in a writer's strike and you got a script just sitting there, um, why not see if you can get another director to take this on? It would do wonders for marketing. Um, yeah. The, the other thing is, like, Quentin Tarantino, look, so Cam, as far as you know, he he wants to shoot the critic in the fall. Is that is that correct? Yes, it's called, I think, the movie critic. 
Because when you say the critic, oh, I think of the critic, the, uh, I just think of the animated, animated show. Series? <laughs> it stinks. <laughs> so this one's going to start John Lovitz. Uh... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> He's doing a live action version. <laughs> this is his swan song, a live action version. I would watch that critic. show. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Or that movie. Uh, well, he did say la- Tarantino did say last year that he does plan on shooting a an eight episode TV series as well. And so, look, the, the man might be retiring from directing, quote unquote, but he's still going to be directing stuff. So that's why I won't throw this Tarantino script out just yet. But I just I think it's so unlikely. I think it's so unlikely it's going to happen. The fact that there's like information kind of uh, leaking out about it how it'd be involving the gangsters from um uh, a piece of the action yeah for example if you're at that point it, it kind of means like yeah there's no chance this is going to get made because we're willing to tell you some of the key little tidbits here maybe the writer's strike will stretch on so long they'll just dust that off and shoot it because it's already done that's what and, i'm getting at though and they did announce that they want to put out a star trek movie for possibly streaming every couple years like there you go that's how Quentin Tarantino can justify doing that because it's a streaming movie. It's, it's not a theatrical release. Yeah, exactly. So I think like that would be a good idea. Now, will they go for that good idea? Mm, don't know. The fact that they announced uh, Section 31 is their first movie. Uh, I mean, I guess, you know, having Michelle Yeoh fresh off an Oscar, that's kind of like the um, buzz that comes built in with that movie to sell it. So if you want to make a splashy first film, I guess that's not the worst idea. But a Tarantino scripted streaming movie, that's not so bad either. Yeah. Um, ultimately, what Paramount Plus wants is is more subscribers, more eyeballs, something to, you know, get garner some interest. And I think that maybe kind of takes us to the final topic here. But, but not just the current state of Star Trek, but the current state of streaming. Uh, about a year ago, uh, Netflix started losing subscribers. And that's when Wall Street kind of took a different position on all these streaming services that all these major studios had been investing billions upon billions of dollars in. And it's the 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 un the the, the Scrooge McDuck levels of money gushing towards the Star Trek franchise just a year ago. Um, I think they're they're uh, tightening the spigot on that as we speak. I think we're gonna look back at 2022 in awe. Um you know, not just because we'll be wondering how Picard season two ever made it to television screens, but <laughs> um, we'll be like just in awe of the fact that five Star Trek shows aired in one single year. Like that, like we just didn't see anything like that since like um, Deep Space Nine went off the air and uh, Voyager uh, was on its own. You know, we had Voyager and Deep Space Nine delivering 52 hours a week, you know, for uh, a couple years there, you know, like. I, 2022 that that might be kind of the the, the height of uh, the current state of star trek for our podcast there mm-hmm. yeah no kidding and it was it, we got to a point where we were almost taking it for granted it's just like yep there's a wall of star trek and there's going to be another wall next year and the year after and now i mean the way that you've seen various streaming networks start to uh re-strategize what they're going to do especially with like their break franchise stuff with marvel kicking a lot of their upcoming shows like into next year and the year after uh which were supposed to basically flood the airwaves this year um the announcement that their echo show is going to be dumping all at once like just full binge mode right from the first drop uh there's different strategies going on for this franchise content and what's the echo show the one that was set up in hawkeye uh the character echo Uh. 
who was like okay. the leader of like those like what were they like ninjas or something yeah um yeah Cam, I, I lament the fact that i got burnt out on all the marvel shows um as soon as the ones with uh women leads started mm. premiering and like it's not my fault I had they been like the first ones out of the gate, I would have been watching that. I liked WandaVision, for example, but it's just, it's very unfortunate. It makes me look terrible. I but I like I didn't stop watching Marvel because they're they had women leads. I stopped watching Marvel shows because I I was just totally burnt out and bored with them and and found them they were getting like six episode runs and even then it felt incredibly stretched out and padded in in terms of storytelling. As She-Hulk's biggest fan, I'm excited about the future of Marvel streaming television. Yes, and uh, <laughs> as I like to re- remind listeners, uh, Cam's watched um, every single episode of She-Hulk, uh, zero episodes of The Wire. That is true, yes, but I mean, She-Hulk I only watched because the episodes were like 22 minutes, and I was like, I can justify this while I'm eating dinner. Um, I have Moon Knight just destroyed any interest I have, so I don't know that I'll be watching any of their upcoming shows. Um, uh, is it the Secret Wars is the next one? Yeah, I think so. It doesn't look very good to me. If I hear that one of them is fantastic, then I will give it a shot. But I'm not doing yeah. the week-to-week uh, viewing that I was doing where I was just being bored and pummeled into submission by Moon Knight. Uh, never again. I-, I will watch season two of Loki. Um, although that could be a very problematic season <laughs> considering yep. uh, one of the stars of that show um i'll i'll let listeners uh google things on their own um yeah the other thing that really irks me and it's like again it, it's not because it, it, it's women in the lead but like the marvel's movie trailer mm. it's it, that was just so excruciating to sit through i've seen it like two or three times already and i'm like oh oh like like marvel's like um not on the best of tracks right now. I mean, Guardians came out doing very well. Um, I I liked it much more than say uh say Ant Man, which I found uh just a a slog. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Is is Marvel is a Marvel franchise? Would you say the Marvel franchise is um, not necessarily uh lost in the woods, but it's pulling over to the gas station asking for directions. <laughs> I barely know what to make of that analogy there. Um, I, I think it, it's just reached a case where these movies are no longer like one franchise that the whole audience is showing up for. It's very much a movie by movie basis. So like Ant-Man, people are like, meh, can't be bothered. But maybe, you know, the next Spider-Man film or the next Doctor Strange, maybe they run out and see it because it looks really good or it has great word of mouth. But I don't think we live in a world anymore where it's like, no matter what they put out, the whole audience is showing up because they want to see the continuation of this large tapestry they're creating. I still cannot wrap my head around how Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness was just this nonstop box office machine for as long as it was last year. Like, just the amount of money it made was absolutely insane. I, I just, I, I cannot wrap my head around it, especially when you have something like Thor, who I think was a much more liked character just kind of fizzled in comparison with, you know, Doctor Strange. I think Doctor Strange coasted off a lot of goodwill from Spider-Man No Way Home. Um, people showed up, I think, expecting kind of like a, a bit of a larger Marvel event just by the title alone, like the multiverse aspect. And it's kind of like a little bit of the effect, like you remember um, Captain Marvel, the first one, made like a billion dollars. 
because it came out after Infinity War. Oh, and people right, were like, right. well, clearly I need to see this movie. And it's like one of the highest grossing Marvel movies across the board. It's mostly because of that uh, no doubt needle drop, right? <laughs> exactly why. Yeah. And I think Doctor Strange 2 had a little bit of that where people felt like I have to see this because the multiverse stuff is going to be important you know, going forward. And then the movie really didn't give you a lot to latch on to, but didn't seem to matter. So, okay. So then after Thor... We got, um, was it Wakanda Forever? I think so, yeah. And then yeah. Ant-Man. And, uh, oh, uh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Okay, and then Wakanda Forever underperformed as well, didn't it? Yes, uh, relative to the first one, yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, hmm, I just, I don't know. Um, I guess we didn't talk about it, but, uh, yeah, what'd you think of uh, Guardians Volume 3? I really enjoyed Guardians 3 a lot. Um, to me, this felt like a rebound that I very much appreciated, I really enjoyed that they did not go for the uh, world-ending stakes. They stuck to something very character-driven. I thought this movie did a very good job balancing like the emotion that James Gunn has delivered in the previous two with the comedy. Um, I just was kind of caught off guard by how I think successful this was as like a James Gunn film, and to me, is kind of like what Marvel should be doing: making more movies driven by the filmmaker and their quirky, unique vision versus like some of these anonymously directed films that we've just talked about a second ago and basically said were not that interesting. And didn't uh, Kevin Feige come out and say like, yeah, we're going to try to do more, give kind of the, the director more of that a tourish role moving forward versus the anonymously directed sorts of films. Like we're giving Chloe Zhao, you know, Oscar winning director, something like the Eternals. And it's just like, does does. And I, it's weird to me. It actually, it has a tinge of Chloe Zhao in there, which is strange, mm-hmm. but it's like, it doesn't feel like this, oh, oh, this is a Chloe Zhao movie. No, no, yeah. I mean, I, I'm sure like when the book is kind of closed on Chloe Zhao's career, many, many decades to come, that like the Eternals will be kind of like an oddball curiosity. They're like, huh, what was that all about? And at least like the last half of Doctor Strange uh, 2, it definitely ha- felt like a Sam Raimi movie as well. Oh, yeah, it did. Yeah. And I mean, the one thing that gives me a little bit of hope about the Marvels is I've listened to interviews with Nia DaCosta, who directed the Candyman remake, which I wasn't huge on, but visually was very dynamic. Um, And how like passionate she was for this project and was seeking it out because she grew up reading Captain Marvel comics and very much wanted to tell that story. So I'm like, the trailer, I I agree, it doesn't fill me with confidence, but at least it seems like the person behind the camera was legitimately excited about working in that particular part of the universe. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. Fingers crossed. Uh, it's what I, I just, got. <laughs> yeah. For me, I just like the, the Marvel train. Like I, you know, like I, I've never, you've known me for uh, what 15 years now. I've never been uh, as big on the Marvel train as maybe the average moviegoer, but there's definitely yeah. been some high highs for me. Uh, I think, you know, uh, Endgame, uh, Ragnarok, uh, I think the first Guardians w- was excellent as well. You know, there's definitely been some like, uh, oh, uh, Winter Soldier and Civil War, you know, like th- those are like some solid flicks, you know, and like, I, but I also don't like those folks that just like, like, I don't watch comic book movies. I'm like, oh, come on, like, whatever. Like, it's like movies can, it, it's like announcing like, I don't watch films involving doctors. Like, uh, okay. <laughs> I would love it if that was a thing. <laughs> Well, it just makes me like, roll. I remember like uh, asking someone like, oh, have you uh, watched uh, Mad Men? They're like, no, what's it about? It's like, oh, it's uh, takes place in 1960s about uh, these folks working in an ad agency. I hate advertisements. I was, just, I was just like, 
okay, the show's not about advertising. <laughs> like, it's not a show about like, like, um, isn't advertising an amazing thing? But it's just like some people are very just like um, reactionary and, and kind of um, uh, provincial in, in terms of uh, automatically like writing things off. I like to go in with kind of an open mind. Yeah, exactly. And I think if stories are told well, people will care. And you want to see Marvel do more of that. And I think when it comes to some of these like Star Trek streaming movies, that's really important to me because like, I don't care about Section 31. So tell it well so I can be excited. So I walk out and I'm like, oh my God, I just never dreamed they'd pull that off in such an exciting way. You know, Tyler, you and I went and saw the movie Air a little while back, the Ben Affleck movie about Nike Airs. I could care less about Nike running shoes. Like, I just don't care. That movie was fun. It was involving. The characters really clicked with me. And I walked out and I was like, I really enjoyed that. That's what I want from Section 31. (laughs) Cam, uh, right before the pandemic, uh, one of the last few movies we saw in theaters, uh, I think the last one we saw was The Invisible Man. Um... And Cam, I don't care about invisibility, but you know what? <laughs> uh, actually, no, the, what I was getting at is uh, the film Honeyland, in which it was a documentary about what, like a Romanian woman who like um, <laughs> harvests honey from, and it's like, Cam, like, just make a good movie. And like, like me, I was enraptured. Like you, you, you were enraptured by Honeyland as well, right? Yeah, it was great. It was yeah. a really fantastic movie. Well, like, it doesn't matter what the subject is. Just make a good movie and people will, will appreciate it and love it for what it is. Um, whereas, like, I don't know, like, I, I, yeah, I want them to surprise me <laughs> with a Section 31 movie. I want them to subvert my expectations, which, um, I don't know, to me, I just, like, I don't care about Section 31. I, I, I just, I wish this movie was called Star Trek Giorgio. Like, that would be something that excites me much more. Yeah, and I think it's important to the focus should be number one on great storytelling, number two, or maybe further down the, the line, like brand awareness. And I often feel like they are relying on the fact people will show up because it's Star Trek instead of being like genuinely creatively driven by a real spark of idea they need to tell. Like, it does not. Do you think like they really had something about Section 31 that they were like, oh my God, this is going to blow people's minds? Or do you think it was like, We've got Michelle Yeoh willing to do a Section 31 show at the time, movie now. Uh, let's put something together. Okay, Cam, I can tell you what the pitch should have been. Um, Michelle Yeoh goes back in time to the 25th century to team up with Julian Bashir on some sort of <laughs> Section 31 uh, case that only the good doctor can help her solve. Ooh, or do we make it more of a time-tripping thing where we also pick up Malcolm Reed from Enterprise? Cam, I don't even care about Section 31 movies with doctors, so stop talking about this stuff. <laughs> yeah, true, true. Okay, so Cam, um, I don't know. G- give the current state of Star Trek a letter grade, which is completely arbitrary, and uh, just give it a shot, though. Hmm. Okay, I'm I'm taking various factors. Like I can't even really consider Discovery because it's going off the air. Uh, I feel like we're kind of in like this weird, almost like holding pattern until we find out actually what the future holds. Whether that's related to movies, um, other shows in addition to Starfleet Academy. So like maybe a B minus. Okay. Okay. I was thinking more of a B. You know. Yeah. Like, there's excitement because you have Lower Decks and you have Strange New Worlds. Like, there's really cool things on the horizon. I'm just feeling like, at this point, we're kind of relying on the ongoing successes they have. I don't know that, like, the future is promising a lot. Yeah. 
But, you know, okay, if we're talking about the current state of Star Trek, you know, uh, let me bump it up to a B plus. You know, we, we had um, some good solid moments in season three of Picard. Uh, say what you will, like um, the end of season three Picard leaves me in a much happier space than the end of Nemesis did. At least that can be the legacy of the TNG crew. Um, we've got Strange New Worlds coming up. I can't imagine them really messing things up. Um, things will have to go really poorly. Same with Season 4 of Lower Deck. So I think if we're judging it uh, right now, the biggest hang-up is, is the state of the film franchise. I say overall, yeah. I'll give it a B plus at this point, actually. Okay, yeah. Yeah, the film franchise, I don't even know what to make of. I, I do appreciate, though, every like handful, of, maybe like every six months or so, J.J. Abrams somehow gets asked about it and is like, we finally found a story that's as riveting as the first film. And you're yeah. like, you've been saying that <laughs> since like 2016. <laughs> Kim, can you imagine the, the earliest I, I can imagine like a Star Trek film, like making its way into theaters would be or beyond like a Section 31 movie. But like, you know, uh, 2025, maybe 2026. We're talking like a, a decade between films and theaters. Yeah, I think 2025. Ooh, that's a real ask because we don't know how long the strike will go and things like that. Uh, I think 2026 would be the most likely scenario. Uh, you can still cast people and do production design, yeah, all that sort of stuff. Uh, and look, if you've got a script just sitting there, you know, wait wait until the strike ends in a couple months and then you can do some sort of tweaking there. It's such a bummer because Chris Pine, when he was on the press tour for Dungeons and Dragons really seems like he wants to do it. Like yeah. he's really invested in the character. He's talking about how much he likes playing Kirk and would happily continue to do it. And it's like, oh my God, you have like casting gold in your Kirk. You've got a really like successful built-in ensemble around him in these films. They want to do it. Like you're out of your minds to like keep like shuffling this one off and being like, I, I don't know, I we'll figure something else out. Like... We've got Paul Wesley is going to like pretty soon be delivering us more hours of Kirk yeah. than Chris Pine has been able to. <laughs> yeah, that's. Um, <laughs> and don't worry, I think it cancels each other out based on the charisma factor. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, but uh, just based on the glimpse we got in season one finale and the glimpses we're getting in the season two trailer, I'm not really looking forward to like proto Kirk here, like Paul Wesley as Lieutenant Kirk versus I Cadet. James T. Kirk, played by Chris Pine, he had that character. He he like he did his own spin, but it, it had a certain energy to it. Have we previously ever had like a really rough recasting of a Star Trek legacy character? No, no. I like I think we've been incredibly lucky. Like we're thinking like I, I think the best luck we've had was Spock. Uh both of them, with Quinto, uh just uh back to back Quinto and uh Peck. I, I think. Yeah. But, but even think about Uhura as well, back to back. Really mm -hmm. damn good there. Um, Pike, you got Greenwood and you got Anson Mount. Back to back, you know, like I, I think we're getting lightning in a bottle um, again and again here. I, You know, so I don't know. You, you can't win them all, right? Yeah, the only one you can uh, say was not particularly successful was Benedict Cumberbatch as Khan. And that's more to do with the fact they cast like the whitest British man ever <laughs> as Khan. But like in terms of like delivering a like big screen performance like Benedict Cumberbatch delivers so you can't say it's from an acting standpoint entirely about appropriate casting yeah 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 all right well I also just want to point out that after I declared that uh I'm not 
into the Marvel movies nearly as much as the average movie going audience. Um, I, I realize I've seen every single one of these movies in movie theaters, um, <laughs> which I don't think the average movie moviegoer does. Um, that's just more my um, obsessive completist um, tendencies within me. I'm sure there are worse French. Oh, I got one. We have also seen every single Jurassic World film in oh, theaters. God. So <laughs> that's worse. That's far worse. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> okay. So I think on that note, our assignment is complete. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, we want to hear from you. Jump on over to the Facebook page at facebook.com slash subspace pod. Tyler, what are we doing next week? Well, Cam, um, because of my <laughs> bent up uh, uh, Strange New Worlds 4K, it, it won't be going to plan. Mm, yes, that's right. So we will have a surprise for you all next week, but I'm sure it's going to be wild, wacky, and a whole lot of fun. Of course, you can also find us on the Twitter. I'm at Cam V is in very, very old will I be when Star Trek 4 comes out, Smith. And you can find me at Reportin, that's R-E-P-O-R-T-O-N, N as in New Worlds are about to get pretty strange next month. Okay, so until next time, the arena is closed. As I like to re- remind listeners, uh, Cam has watched um, every single episode of She-Hulk, uh, zero episodes of The Wire.